morning, church. It is good to be back again. You guys let me come back. That is awesome. Well, um, I know we talked about some things last week, and uh, I hope I didn't traumatize anybody. I had people coming up to me afterwards and confessing their diet sins. I had some people genuinely upset with me. And, uh, you know, I saw some people hiding some cake too after service. But that's all good. We had fun and it's just good to be back. I hope that uh, uh, you've figured out what kale and quinoa is by now. And we can move on. So I'm going to jump right in. Let's start with a prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much just for the way that you love us, just for the way that you take care of us, and just for the way that you want the best in this life for us. Lord, as we look at the scriptures today, I pray that our hearts are open to really figuring out what it means to love and how to love and how to take care of this temple you've given us. Let my words be your words. In Jesus' name we prayed. Uh, we pray. Amen. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Actually, let me get my clicker out of here. Let's make sure this is working. Let's see here. Excellent. Okay. So we started off last week and we came up with a a meal plan as a congregation. And we figured out that we were going to hold to it, right? Okay, not so much. But what we figured out is that information does not change us. What changes us is conviction, right? It's a set of values that is so deep that it forces us to act. But how do we get from information to conviction? What they found is, like I said last week, at any given time, only 20% of people are ready to take action. But what we do is we get excited by something and we want to jump straight in, And then two weeks down the road or whatever, it's not what we thought it was going to be or it's harder than we thought it was going to be and so we fall back, right? So how do we get from information to conviction? The path to conviction lies in contemplation. And what do I mean by that? Scientists have figured that people who end up changing their lifestyle long term spend a lot more time thinking, meditating, praying, in their minds before they actually start to act. When we became disciples and started to live this life, did we go from I want to go to church to I want to commit my life? No. There was studying. There was a wrestling with your heart. And so what I want us to do is take time to contemplate some things. And so that's the aim of this lesson. I know last week I said I wasn't going to give you a bunch of practicals. And and still today you'll get some but not as much because we need to think about some things. So I know last week was a little traumatizing, so I'm coming to you today. The title of my message is A Philosophy of Love. You can't go wrong with love, right? Mark chapter 12. Going off on the scripture that you guys have been looking at, verse 30, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, And with all your strength. That's where we got to last week. And talking about the second second greatest commandment, it says the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. 
So the scripture says we, are, we ought to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? That sounds good. We ought to give to our neighbor what we would give to ourselves. Yet this scripture presupposes one thing. And it presupposes and takes for granted that we know how to love ourselves in a life-giving, gracious, compassionate way. It takes for granted that we will be patient with ourselves, that we will be kind to ourselves, that we will trust ourselves, and we will see in ourselves the greatness that we can become. That's not always the way we treat ourselves, though, is it? What if we really loved our neighbors the way we loved ourselves? What if the way you take care of yourself and this temple that you take care of, that God has given you, you loved your neighbors in the same way. I remember when it was early in our marriage, Dawn and I were newly married, we didn't have a lot of money, and for me, taking care of myself meant I shaved my head once every couple of weeks. If I got to cut my toenails every couple of months, it was good. That was me taking care of myself. And then I would look at the bank statements and I'll look at how my wife took care of herself. And I would see hair appointments. Now, makeup for me, all I understood is makeup is one general term. I did not know you needed concealer, foundation, and all of these other things. It was like you were building a building, right? And so I'd look at all these things and I'm like, babe, babe, you don't need all of that stuff. I love you naturally. You don't need to purchase all of that stuff. Just soap and water is good. You can see how that worked out, right? Because I was trying to love her and take care of her the way that I was taking care of myself. It was not effective. When you're in an airplane, what do they say? Put the mask on yourself first before you take care of somebody else. Now, as Christians, this can be a little traumatic for us because we're like, I'm not supposed to focus on myself. I'm supposed to focus outward, right? But I think, and that is true, Jesus does say we are supposed to deny ourselves. But we've also got to re- take a respect, a healthy respect for the body God has given us, for the mind God has given us, and learn to love ourselves first because otherwise we won't know how to love people out there. We have to love ourselves right now. Not when you get the job, not when you get the pay raise, not when you get the money that you think you're going to get, not when you're a size two, not when you lose the weight, but the Bible says we've got to love ourselves now if we're to be able to love our neighbors. Ephesians 5 even says, you know, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. So there's a precedent in the Bible for us taking care of ourselves. So the title of my message, like I said, is a philosophy of love. My first point is a toxic love story. We'll get to that scripture in a second. How many of us have ever been in a bad, toxic love relationship? A relationship where you had to get out because either there was neglect, there was abuse, maybe the chemistry had just gone out, and with this person that you were in love with, you would do all kinds of crazy things for. Some of us were cooking and we had no business cooking. And you look back and you think, 
what was I doing? And maybe part of their philosophy was, if you love me, you would dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. Now, remember what it was like when you got out of that relationship. Or maybe you had a friend who was in that relationship and you were like, I can't wait for them to leave that knucklehead. But then you saw them leave and when you left, you dropped the dead weight, you felt freedom, you got your hair done, you started meeting different people and you were reminded of how awesome you really are. Why do I talk about this? Because I think some of us are in a toxic relationship with our own bodies, with the body that God has given us, either through neglect or maybe it's through abuse. We know that with the chemical recovery ministry or maybe sometimes low self-esteem. And we say to ourselves, I would love you more if you were like this or if you looked like this person or if you had this, that and the other. When God says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's hard because you walk out there into the world and you have a whole beauty and diet industry that is telling you to fix, enhance, improve, anti-this, anti-that, anti-wrinkle, anti-age, anti-you. And basically the message is you are not good enough. When Isaiah 62 verse 3 Isaiah 62, verse 3. God, talking of his people, says, You will be a crowd of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. God sees you as something splendid, something royal. We know Isaiah, um, Psalm 139, which talks about how you're beautifully and wonderfully made. And this is what we have to battle in our minds day in, day out, as we try to love ourselves. We've adopted, some of us without even knowing it, an unhealthy philosophy about our health, about ourselves, and about our body. Go to Colossians chapter 2. We've got to watch which philosophy we take in. Point number one is a toxic love philosophy. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. When it comes to any philosophy that we take on, our health philosophy, the ones we subscribe to, is it based on hollow and shallow principles? Or is it life-giving, based in truth? Does it bring freedom? Or is it oppressive and just based in traditions? We've done it for years, so we'll do it over and over again. We'll continue to do it this way. Is it based on the elemental forces of this world? Now listen, there are so many things out there that are vying for your attention, not because they love you, not because they want greatness for you. They want either your money, your attention, your views, your likes, social media, and they're vying for your attention. What is it that you base your philosophy on? Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Sorry, guys, trying to point this thing. Did I get it? Fantastic. I'm sorry. <laughs> huh? My back? Pow. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit, and this is Jesus talking. 
says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Jesus was about freedom. What's he talking about here? Recovery of sight for the blind. If you can't see, if there's truths you can't see, he wants you to see it, right? Prisoners, people who are oppressed, people are held down. Jesus wants freedom for them. Any philosophy that we subscribe to should have, be a philosophy based in love, a philosophy based in freedom, not something that holds us down. And so now you might be thinking, okay, this is a bit much. We're just talking about diet and exercise. So many people out there feel trapped because of the health issues that they're facing. Many people out there can't find real solutions. There are families who have histories of obesity and they've seen a heart attack and diabetes and family members pass away over and over and over again. Many people are just discouraged that they can't figure out how to get on top of their health. I was talking to one client, very successful and she was invited to a huge gala event with all of these A-list celebrities, and it was a great opportunity for her business. But she didn't go because she didn't feel comfortable in her body. As disciples, look, it goes much deeper than skin deep. We know that, okay? But these things do affect us. Our confidence, how we put ourselves out there, who we will approach, who we will share our faith with, who we will invite to church to come with us, and the example that we set. We've got to understand, yes, some people are locked down in oppression with these kind of things. And then you look at the philosophy that the world gives, and I'm going to go through quite a few of these things rapidly. Last week we talked about the temple being, uh, the body being the temple of the spirit, right? And we understand what the scriptures say. But what the world does is it takes that and it just says, my body is my temple. Not the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not what's inside. It just stops at, my body is my temple. There is no depth. There is no spirit. There is nothing deeper. And what does that do? It takes away the power of what God wants us to see and how we, to, how we are to live our lives. I once asked a group of people I was working with, what percentage would you say you were living your life at right now? And due to their health issues, most people were in the 40 to 50% range because they felt like they couldn't give as much energy, they weren't as, much co as confident as they wanted to be, and so they weren't living their fullest life when the Bible says Christ came to give us life to the full. When you think about the word diet, do you think of happiness? <laughs> no. We think of cutting, cutting calories, obsessing over food, obsessing over whole food groups. Some of us, it's guilt and shame. You know what I think diet stands for? Did I eat that? I heard someone say to me, you know, I don't like to go on a diet because that's when I start thinking about food. When we are told we can't have something, that's when we start to think about it, right? Foods you never thought about before, now that you're on a diet, you start thinking about them all the time. I had one brother's brother in the church who said once he started, he started having dreams about food. He dreamed of himself in a bathtub eating food. These principles don't work. I'm trying to show you the world's philosophy and how this stuff doesn't work. Listen, if I tell you right now, don't think about a red cow. 
What are you thinking about? Red cow. You weren't thinking about a red cow when you came in here. But it's called a principle of amplification. Scientists say the more you try to push something out of your mind, the stronger it comes back in. So up to 40, it says up to 40 times per minute. You try to eradicate a thought, it keeps fighting. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and louder until you acknowledge it. So we're on diets. We're hungry. We're upset. We're deprived. And then we get hangry. What is hangry? A state of anger caused by a lack of food. Hunger that causes a negative change, emotional state, change in emotional state. I remember early in my marriage, I needed to, I, I, as I was learning to love my wife, I needed, if there's one thing I need to do, is I need to feed this woman when she's hungry. Because that's when we would get into most of our fights. I wouldn't know what was going on, but she would start getting cranky. I'm like, oh, you're hungry. These principles that are out there, we've got to see what's really happening, right? The uh, great philosopher Hippocrates said, let thy, medicine, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. Food was supposed to be a healthy, life-giving, nourishing thing. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, 29. So as we go through this, we're going to look at the philosophy of failure that is out there. That's point number two. Genesis 1.29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has uh, fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. What's my point here? God created food, like I said last week, to be good-tasting, nourishing food, fuel, and at the end of it, he said, it was good. In ancient cultures, they would look at food as, the, as, a, as, a, as a healing mechanism, as something that would invigorate and nourish your body. But we turn today, and we see in diet philosophy that food has become the enemy. Now whole food groups are the enemy. You can't eat carbs anymore. And if you, can't, if you can't eat carbs, you can't eat fat, you've got to stay away from sugar. So what are we supposed to eat? It's just water and air that's left. Right? It's unrealistic, it's oppressive, and the rules are very, very harsh. There's no freedom there. And then when you fail, what happens? You fail because they say you don't have the willpower. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Or we jump from one plan to another. And it's just another plan that's based on the same principles that are weak. So if surely everybody's doing this, then it must be working, right? Let me show you some diet statistics. The average woman spends 31 years of her life on a diet. The average man, 28 years. 95% of diets fail. These are statistics, right? A UCLA study says that 41% of people who go on a diet will put on more weight after a year than they had when they were first on a diet. The average person can only endure a diet for 5.5 weeks. 
if you had a car, someone was selling you a car that you knew wouldn't work 95% of the time, that after a year you knew it would fail and it would take you 5.5 weeks to figure out how to use it, would you choose it as your vehicle of your mode of transportation? No, you would not. But when it comes to our health, this is, one of, is, this is the prevailing thing that everybody goes back to. Why? Because it seems like there are no other options. What would you say is the one character, um, uh, character trait you need to succeed in eating healthy? Self-control. Consistency. What else? Determination. Moderation. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Education. All Asians. Conviction. Okay. Someone said it. Dedication, discipline. The word I was uh, referring to is willpower. And they tell us, look, if you don't have enough willpower, you're not going to succeed. Well, scientists have proven that willpower is a weak tool to try to achieve any kind of life-changing um, lifestyle, right? The, mo the more, they say willpower is like a muscle, the more you use it, the weaker it becomes if that's all you're relying on. Think about it. How many of us have been on a, a meal plan, we prepared our food on Sunday, we put all of our, our snacks in our bags, you've got snacks in the car, almonds in the car, almonds in the bag, almonds in your pocket, almonds everywhere, right? And we're out there, and we've got it together. You ate a healthy breakfast, you ate a healthy lunch, and then afterwards, you go out to a, a, a work dinner or, an, or a, a social event, and we're there. And then we get there early. We have our water, sparkling water on the side. We order our meal first so we don't get tempted. We do all of that, and you're feeling good. And then it takes your waiter a little longer to bring you your food start to get a little hungry. And then what happens? Then they bring out the bread basket. And they bring out this bread basket and it's got, you know, it's, it's all wrapped up. And then they open it and the steam just rises out of the bread basket. And then you're, you're struggling, but you're still holding on. And then they just slide that butter, right? And they put it on that wood tray so it looks more appealing. They slide the butter out and the butter knife. What happens? The bread is gone. It's done. You're finished, right? You put on that butter, you enjoy it, and then by the time your food comes, you're too full. Willpower is weak if that's all you're going to use. Yes, we need discipline, but we've got to understand that these are principles that people get trapped by over and over and over again. I'm trying to get us to a place where we can free ourselves and really see what we need to do to liberate ourselves and others. The other thing somebody said, moderation. This is one of my personal pet peeves. People say, yeah, well, everything in moderation. We live in America. We are not given to moderation. When I first came to this country and I went to... In England, you have a shopping aisle and the cereal aisle is maybe this big, Right? In America, it's a whole aisle. And then, I never knew, coming from England, we didn't have Cheerios. I know, we were very deprived. We never had Cheerios. And then I come to America, and you have a whole aisle of Cheerios. How many Cheerios do you possibly need? 
You know there are 16 versions of Cheerios. We as Americans are not given to moderation. If we were given to moderation, sisters, you would have one pair of shoes and one handbag. Some of you are getting nervous right now just thinking about that. Brothers, you would play a video game once and that would be it. But that's it. We are not, as a society, given to moderation. Listen, for some of us, one cookie means a whole bag of cookies. There are certain things that we've got to know ourselves in. And we've got to understand that what, what I'm trying to connect here is that these spiritual principles, loving yourself, knowing what philosophy you are really subscribing to, I think sometimes, yes, and rightly so, we look at it in terms of um, being saved, baptism, all of those things, and we need to. But what I'm saying is these scriptures you can apply to so many different things. And the principles that Christ teach work. That's, how, that's for me what helps me go deeper into the scriptures. That yes, Christ was talking about this one specific thing. But the underlying principle works for everything. Why? Because Christ was with God before the earth began. Christ knows the blueprint of how we work as human beings. Christ knows the blueprint of how this world works. And so we can take these scriptures and whatever endeavor you're trying to do, apply them to that situation. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And what does that mean? It means it is a way of living. It's not a diet. What coming to Jesus doesn't have an end date until you get to heaven, right? And even then, it's forever. We know it's a lifestyle you live for the rest of your life. Imagine if you came to church and James said, listen, all you need to do is be a Christian for these next 28 days and you're getting to heaven. You know that's not going to work. It's a whole lifestyle and a whole life path. If whatever program you're on has an end date, it's not going to work for you. It's temporary. It's not a lifestyle. It's a gimmick. And why do they do it? Because they want to sell you more stuff. They're selling you the promise. Look, I know. I know some of you are like, you've got, you got a program in the last 28 days. Yes, that's true. What we try to do is get people in on the 28 days and teach them how to live the rest of their life. Because that's what's out there. You know, there is another path. There is another way to do this do things. And what we need to do is let go of this toxic philosophy that has held so many of us back. And look, we see it in our communities. We see it here in the church. What's the real cost? Here's the thing. Look at a few more stats. The diet industry is a $68 billion a year industry. $68 billion. Right? Yeah. Currently, 33% of Americans are obese and 66% are overweight. By the year 2030, 50% of people in America will be obese. That means a shorter life expectancy. That means diseases that will affect the quality of their lives. That means uh, it will affect the quality of their families and whole communities. Every second person you see will be obese. One, there are 1.9 million new cases of, uh, of diabetes every single year. 
Why do I talk about this? Because I think when we just focus on my body is my temple and we focus on the outer shell, we miss the power and the strength of what we're up against. We miss the damage that is being done. Last year we talked about how um, the effects of poor diet and exercise can take 20 years off of your life. 20 years. That's more than alcohol. That's more than tobacco. And what does it mean in real terms? I got a call from a sister the other day. She was like, can you help my husband? It's like, what's happening? She said to me, he won't um, change his diet. He won't uh, take his medication. He won't get exercise. He has had uh, two stents put into his heart. And he's going to have another one. Yet, he's struggling with being down on himself, but he just won't change. What can I do? Some of us... We have people in our lives who love us. And it's an awkward thing to talk about. It's an awkward thing to talk about in church. People who love you, so they, they don't want to approach you with this stuff because it feels awkward. But we've got to understand, like we talked about last week, our bodies are not our own. We've got work to do. And people who love you and are encouraging you because they want the best for you. And you do have a responsibility to them. I was working with one other guy and this guy had gone up to 500 pounds. And uh, we'd started on a program, and he was doing great, and he was in his car with his, with his son, and he was in a rush. And so he was going to McDonald's to get his son a meal, right? But he didn't communicate that to his son. So he's driving through the driveway, and he turns into the back of the car, and driving through the drive-thru, he turns to the back of the car, and he sees his son in tears. It's like, what's wrong? He goes, Daddy, you said you wouldn't do this stuff. And the more that you do this, I know that you're going to die. I know McDonald's is going to kill you. He didn't realize the impact that it was having on his child. Our lives have impact. People see it. My encouragement is not to, if, I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. When I come back to Harlem, I get emotional. I get emotional because of the history here, the training I've had here, I met my wife here, the relationships I've had here. And so for me, and also, listen, we talked about this as well. We know people who aren't here due to obesity-related issues. It's been real for us. We know people right now who are suffering because of it. So for me, with everything that I do out there and with my career and all of that, it wouldn't be right for me not to come back and try to express to you, there is so much more we can be doing here. You can heal. You can get better. And I don't want to trivialize anybody who has other medical issues that, look, diet and exercise, you're going to need to do more than diet and exercise, okay? There are some issues that, that that's what it requires. But let's take a moment to get sober because the good news is you can get better. The good news is you can get be, be free of diabetes. The good news is you can extend your life. You can be there for your kids. That's good news. So, moving on. A philosophy of freedom, 2 Peter chapter 1. How do we get there? Let's look at a spiritual principle here. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to go from verse 5. 
For this, reason, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that he's been cleansed from his past sins. The earlier part of the scripture talks about um, encouraging people who want to be part of God's divine nature and escape corruption in the world. Why am I talking about this? Because these people right here who Peter's talking to had deep convictions and had deep values. They wanted to escape corruption in the world. They wanted to participate in God's divine nature. They wanted to be effective as Christians. They had values. They wanted to grow. How are we to move forward? We've got to connect the goals that we have to our values in our lives. What do I mean? There was a Harvard study study that showed that people who have superficial health goals will only last a short period of time. So that means if it's just about losing weight, it's not going to last very long. If it's just about getting into your skinny jeans, yeah, that's awesome. It's not going to last very long, right? They're good initial goals. But if it's connected to your values, who you are as a person, that's the way that it's going to, uh, that's going to last. Now, here's the thing. My daughter... She hates it when I call her out. But we watched a, a video, and I was, I was educating her on health. And she watched, we watched this video, and she decided to become a vegetarian. Now, this was about three years ago, and she's still a vegetarian. Now, for me, I've only ever made being a vegetarian six months of my life. But she has such deep conviction about what it means for her. It's connected to who she is as a person. When you talk to vegetarians, they're not talking to you about, oh, I didn't get to eat ribs this week, or I'm struggling because I can't have chicken, right? It's connected to something deeper, either cruelty to animals, either they've seen what a plant-based life can do uh, for your health, either they've seen somebody who's been through a heart attack and and changed their life due to to plant-based. It's it's a va- it connects with the values of who they are. We need to connect our values, our health values, to our values of discipleship, self-control, living life to the full, being able to help others and freeing them from these situations that they're in. And even your future goals. Look, I know right now my wife and I are working very hard. We've got two kids. We've got to get them off to college, and that's all exciting and all of that stuff. But I've got to tell you, one of my goals in life is once we are empty nesters, I'm going to take my wife and we're going to go traveling places. We're going to go see stuff. We're going to do stuff, get on boats, see places we ain't supposed to be. So I want to be healthy for that. I'm looking forward to that time. It's connected to the values of who I want to be. It becomes less about what I have to do to be on some diet and more about who I am. Sometimes we do a diet or we take a class. And what I want you to start thinking of is don't just do stuff. Don't just take stuff. 
Become a learner. Become a student. Become a disciple. Evolve and grow. And the more you learn, you see the scripture in, 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 uh, in Peter is what happens. It says, add to your faith goodness. Add to this. Add to add. Keep adding. Don't focus on what you're taking away. That's just depressing. If you focus on all the things you have to give up, you'll just be depressed. But the way people change for um, long term is adding good things. Add, go for a walk. Add a walk to your schedule. Add some vegetables to your schedule. Add some baked stuff instead of fried stuff to your schedule. Add some fruit for dessert instead. Add. The more you add, the more you add, the more you add, the more the negative stuff will just drown itself out. But think of adding and not subtracting. Finally, here's hope and here's what I, what I want to give us as a church. Across the world, there are places, they're called blue zones. And in these places are where people live to be in their 80s, well, in their 90s and 100s, healthy, with no disease, no heart attack, uh, a very low instance of Alzheimer's. These are all over the world. And Ikaria is a place in, in Greece where it's one of these blue zones. There's a blue zone in uh, Japan. There's one over in Los Angeles. And these are places, uh, like short, small geographic areas, where people are living to be over 100 and doing great. No disease, no nothing, right? They tend to live in Ikaria, they tend to live um, 8 to 10 years longer than the average American. There is a 25% less, uh, sorry, they are four times less likely to have Alzheimer's than any American. Why? What is going on here? First of all, yes, they eat a healthy diet. They're not on some uh, 90-day plan. They eat lots of fruits and vegetables, olive oil, low amounts of meat and dairy, and most of them, because it's an agricultural or a rural area, they end up walking the equivalent of 20 hills per day. Just being active. There's, there's, not, there's no gyms. It's, it's on a little island. There's no Planet Fitness. There's no Equinox. They're just active, daily, moving, right? You go there, you're not going to find many six-pack ab stories but you're going to find people who are living healthy into their 90s and into their 100s. Now, why does this happen? Yes, they're, they're walking about 20 uh, hills a day. They've got a healthy diet. But the things that I want to encourage us with is one of the main things that you find in most of these places is that they are faith-based communities. They have a deep spiritual faith on some level. The next thing that you'll find is that they have very, a very strong community network. So they take care of each other. They're in each other's lives, right? People get help. Nobody is left alone. And the final thing is they have a specific way of looking at life that connects them all together. What does that sound like? It sounds like the church. It sounds like us. And so when I say as a church, I believe that we can affect real change in this area, this is why. Because the evidence shows that we can. 
You look throughout history, and I'm not saying we need to change the mission of the church. I'm saying this could be one of our many missions that helps people be released from the oppression that they're facing, from their health issues, that gives them more life, that gives them a full life. Listen, in this church, the chemical recovery ministry, how many people have benefited from the chemical recovery ministry? Why? The Bible does not talk about chemical recovery. But these principles have been applied in the chemical recovery ministry. It's rescued people. It's given them life. It's given them more intensity in their discipleship. Throughout history, you look at the church and where people were in pain or struggling, the church showed up. In natural disasters, in the first century, the church showed up. During the civil rights movement, the church showed up. And now we have people, 66% are overweight, 33% are obese, and by the year 2050, every other person you see will have health issues related to obesity. We need to show up. I believe that this is something we really can make a difference in. But first of all, we've got to start loving ourselves. Take a check. How are you doing right now loving yourself? We do everything for everybody else. And we need to. We cannot stop serving. But it's time for us to take a step back, evaluate. How am I taking care of this temple? Am I on my medication? Am I taking my therapy? Am I doing what I need to do here? And then just look around. We can build each other up and then look. We're in Harlem, right? There's a higher incidence of health issues amongst African Americans and amongst Latinos. That's just what it is. I don't know why, but that's just what it is. We can do so much good here. So in closing, guys, I want to encourage you to take time this week to stop and to love yourself and figure out what that means. If you are struggling with this and you feel a little awkward from what I've said, find someone who loves you, who's close to you. Get the encouragement you need. And if you need help from me, and I'll be giving you guys more resources at another time, reach out to me. I have stuff that I can give you that will help you along the way. But guys, today, let's make the decision to reject the world's philosophy and start having a philosophy of love for ourselves. Amen.